0: Good morning. Several weeks ago, uh, Dudley and I were uh, talking. We talk weekly, and he said, John, I'm, I want to do Advent in a team teaching approach, and I'd like you to speak a Sunday, and here are the topics. And so I was looking at the topics in the calendar, and the 11th seemed to be the, the right Sunday to choose, so I chose it, and I was so excited because I'd love to be up here. And I got home, and I told Mary Ann that I was speaking. She goes, what's the topic? And I said, peace. And I got this look from her like, really because those of you who know me i'm like inside i'm like the least peaceful person on the planet right so there's a couple of ways yeah tim, tim mcgraw just said amen um, there's a couple of ways to look at this one is that i'm not going to have anything to say this morning of any value or secondly that i have a lifetime of experience of not peace so i'm going to have a lot to say during Advent we have been looking at the people of promise and uh, particularly our thematic verse is 2 Corinthians 1:20 and it reads for no matter how many promises God has made they are yes in Christ and so through him the amen is spoken by us to the glory of God and I really have been thinking about this verse and about those promises as we've gone through our studies week over week and I realized that those promises that are yes in Jesus are really great and deep desires, kind of sort of like natural desires that we have in our hearts. So when you think about faith and hope and joy and peace, think about the fact that we all long for those things and that that, that the longing can be satisfied in those promises that are yes in Jesus. The Hebrew word for peace, and we're familiar with this, is the word shalom, and it has interesting meanings. It can mean tranquility, completeness, soundness. It can even mean uh, friendship, uh, particularly when it's uh, in reference to God. But in the English, peace has different meanings, and we all sort of have different ideas of what it takes to actually have it. And that reminds me of the woman who's walking along one of our beaches here locally, and she comes upon an Aladdin's lamp. And she's thinking, there must be a genie inside. So she rubs it, and lo and behold, a genie pops out. And she gets really excited, but the genie has to cut her off, because, look, lady, I know what you're thinking, but the industry of genies has fallen on hard economic times. So you don't get three verses, or three wishes anymore. You only get one, so give me your best shot. And the lady right away says, oh, I know exactly what it is. I want peace in the Middle East. And she pulls out this map, and she shows the genie those countries that she wants to be at peace. And he gets all ticked off. He goes, you've got to be kidding me. These countries have been fighting each other for thousands of years. There's no peace that's going to happen there. I'm good, but I'm not that good. I can't do that wish. Pick another one. So she thinks for a second. She goes, oh, yeah, I need a husband. And he has to be handsome, and he has to be kind and considerate. He needs to be athletic, but I don't want him sitting around watching sports all day. He needs to be able to cook and handle himself in the kitchen. He needs to help with chores around the house. And oh yeah, he has to get along fabulously with my family. Jeannie's reply is, can I see that map one more time? (laughs) So I don't know if your piece is peace in the Middle East or peace that you have a good mate, but during this time of year, we see, um, I put this verse on your outline at the top. It's from Luke. It's the Christmas story. And the angels cry out, peace on earth. And you know, you see that everywhere this time of year. I know I just saw it on a a Christmas card. And I thought to myself, how how often I read that, and I don't really even think about it. I don't even contemplate what that could possibly mean. And so I thought maybe we could take some time to look at that. But when you think about today, December 11th, we are exactly... Hopefully this isn't a shock to you. We are two weeks from Christmas. Christmas Day is in two weeks. So the freakout's beginning to happen internally, right? There is presents. There are presents we've got to buy, and then we've got to get them wrapped. The house needs to be cleaned. Maybe it still needs to be decorated. Some of you are preparing the holiday favorite foods that are going to be eaten by everybody. Um, maybe you gotta, you're a single parent, and you have child care issues that are going to happen here in another week when the kids are out of school. Um, families are going to be meeting and gathering, and so that means travel. And of course, it also means that families are going to be meeting and gathering, and there's all the issues that come with that. So, um, And then, on top of all of that, there is all of this food, and then maybe there's going to be all of this overeating. So there's plenty of things to not have peace about, and you may even find yourself during this holiday season, or any holiday season, if I could just get some peace and quiet. For some of you though, um, the holidays stir up different emotions, emotions that you would rather leave undisturbed. Maybe we remember lost loved ones. I think about uh, my own family. Uh, My mom, um, her father, mother, and brother died nine years apart, if you just did that, over an 18-year period. And they all died within a week in December. So if you look at the calendar for her, she reminisces about her mom and her dad and her uh, brother. And it's a very sad time for my mom. And many of us are like that as we remember our loved ones that aren't with us during the holiday. Other of us just remember Christmas being a bad time. There was fighting, there was addictions, there was overindulging. And then for others, it got even worse to where family members or extended family members um, would participate in various kinds of abuses. And so for those of you that are in this predicament, you're sad, you don't really like the holiday. Sometimes it's to be avoided, and most certainly you approach it with caution. But, you know, the holiday season isn't the only time of the year that, uh, that has problems. I think uh, w- what you see in our culture today, uh, just arguments over which lives matter most. I think about the disputes and the arguments that have taken place over this past election, and as we think about people who will hold political offices and be our leaders, we seem to be arguing more and more over those things. Then there's just plain outbursts of anger that lead to all sorts of violence, whether that's road rage, mass shootings, you can just pick it. And then there's all the just typical day-to-day things that we deal with, divorce, addiction, sickness, and that sickness can be chronic or can be terminal, and then we have financial woes that doesn't hold itself just to this country. As we look worldwide, we see all kinds of economic strife. We see all kinds of conflicts. I think about countries that have been at war literally for thousands of years. Um, I found this statistic. This is one that Dudley has used before. Do you realize in the 3,500 years of recorded civilized history that there's only been true world peace about 7% of the time? So that's between 260 and 270 years, so less than 300 years of peace over 3,500. That's not a lot of peace. So whether you're dealing with first world problems or problems that are so much more severe, have you ever asked yourself, and this is on your, adli- uh, on your outline, why is there so much conflict? And actually, I want to back up for a second. Uh, when, when I think of peace, I, th- I grew up in the 60s and 70s, and so my idea of peace is totally different. And I put together this montage for you of just things that are happened back then and things that are happening today that look so similar. And who's the guy in the middle? John Lennon. And he had uh, a song that became famous. Its refrain is famous, right? All we are saying is what? Give peace a chance. So let's see if we can give peace a chance this morning. Uh, the first thing I want you to see in your outline is, why is there so much conflict? And here's Jesus, the, just so that you get the context of this verse. Jesus, the Passover supper has uh, taken place, and Jesus is now having a very intimate conversation with his closest disciples, and he says this to them towards the end of it. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have no trouble at all not so you will have trouble but take heart i have overcome the world so i thought isn't that interesting that here we we have jesus the christ saying that we're going to have trouble and so i thought maybe i should look at maybe some reasons why and what kinds of uh, trouble you might have so again to your outline the first thing i want you to see is that we have external and internal trouble each week we do the good news and the bad news and a key uh, verse in that is from Romans 3:23, and it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God so if you think about sin being the problem you can go all the way back to the fall of man to see where conflict starts and this is God talking to Eve to the woman he said I will greatly multiply your pain and childbirth in pain you will bring forth your children Yet your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. So there's a couple of things that I see here. One is pain. We're going to get to experience pain where we didn't before. And then the other, and you might miss this as you look at the end of this, this verse, is that the roles that God had for men and women change a little bit to the point where there might now be competition for who's going to lead the family. So my question is, those of you who are married, do you have any of those problems in your house? Um... The other thing he says to Adam, then to Adam he said, cursed is the ground because of you in toil, you will eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles, it shall grow for you and you will eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face, you will eat bread till you return to the ground because from it you were taken. For you are dust and to dust you shall return. I think it's very interesting in that verse that we see that work is now gonna be hard. And then next to that, we see that death comes. There is God telling us that we're going to die. We come from dust, we're going to return to dust. Um, So you, you have sort of those external troubles, but what about internal? And I want you to see what Paul has to say about that. I have discovered this principle of life, that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love God's law with all my heart. But there is another power within me that is what? At war with my mind, this power makes me a slave to sin that is still within me. And I think all of us, if you have any sort of conscience, understand exactly what that verse means and the truth of it in our everyday lives. But you know what? You can have these sort of physical, I'll call them physical or human, kind of at the human level struggles, but there's are spiritual struggles as well. And that's also on your outline. Jesus said this from Matthew 10, Do not suppose that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to turn a uh, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And listen to this closely. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. You know, sometimes as Christians, when we choose to make a stand for Christ, and for Christian values, it's like a bomb gets set off. And this is true in our own families, it's true at work, and it's certainly true in our society at large. There's plenty of proof um, in our country today. There's plenty of things in the news where you can see Christian values openly being um, challenged. And then it's also that case around the world. If, you just, if you're um, on the email chain that you get Dudley's prayer letter each week, you can see we were... He asks us to pray for this young man in Laos by the name of Nam who has come to Christ and he's now in opposition with his parents who want to uh, worship the spirit of their ancestors. And so there's conflict there. But this spiritual struggle is even bigger than that. And here's what Paul says about it. For we are not contending against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against the powers, against the world rulers of this present darkness, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness, and heavenly places. So as Christians, we know that we have heavenly help, but I need you to also understand you have heavenly opposition, that this conflict is huge. Um, one thing I wanted to, to just bring to light, if you haven't even thought about this, when you're in church, especially when we're here at Dudley, I so if you don't know the answer, the answer is always what? It's Jesus. So when you think about conflict, what about the life of Jesus? Did he have conflict? Well, he most certainly had conflict. And when I think about it, I think, just think about his birth. We romanticize the the nativity. You realize that he was born in a stable, right? And so this stable was probably full of smelly donkeys. So I'm thinking that this place had a terrible stench to it. And then we see that he was laid in a manger. Well, do you know what a manger is? It's a feeding trough. They throw hay in a manger. That's where the animals go to eat. And so that's where Mary lays him. She lays him on prickly hay. And then it says that he was wrapped in swaddling cloths. Translation, he was put in rags. They didn't have money. They were poor, they had to move. Dudley was telling us that a couple of weeks ago about how many times the family moved when Jesus was uh, just a, a young boy. And then I think about the fact that they, living in Israel, we also learned a few weeks ago that Herod had basically taxed the country of Israel into poverty. So Jesus was born into poverty. His father was a carpenter, which meant he was a manual laborer. That's what Jesus learned to do. He learned to be a carpenter. There was probably hard to find work. There probably wasn't a lot of play. They probably bartered, if you can think about that, right? They would go fix something for somebody in return. They might get food or another favor. And then if you just look at Jesus' ministry, nobody understood him, right? His family didn't understand him. His disciples didn't understand him. Pharisees certainly didn't understand him and neither did the government of Rome. So there was plenty of conflict for Jesus. So with all of this conflict that we live in the middle of, you might want to ask yourself, and this is on your outline, how can you have peace in the middle of all of it? In that same intimate time that Jesus spent with his disciples, he said this, and this is our uh, verse for the week. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not be afraid. I think this verse is so interesting. When you think about peace here, and you think about Jesus leaving his peace, he's really referring to the Holy Spirit here. So when you think about this verse and what he's saying, think of it uh, that way. So what should you do with this peace? What should you do, Christian, with the Holy Spirit? And on your outline, what I want you to see, two things. The first is, let God's peace rule your hearts. Um, this time of the year, we—there we go—we um, go. we see a lot of prophetic descriptions of Jesus. We hear "King of Kings," "Lord of Lords," and "Prince of Peace." So, if Christ's peace is going to rule you, look at that first word. You have to let it. You have to permit it. You have to make a choice to obey your ruler, and this means submitting to his authority and obeying his commands, loving him like he said. I have uh, an example. This is a a personal example, and you need to know before I tell this story that there are are two versions. There's there's my version, and then there's Marianne's version. I grew up in Florida, and I'm used to Florida weather patterns, and uh, many years ago, about 30 years ago, Marianne and I uh, move to Huntsville, Alabama and Huntsville is in the north central part of Alabama And it's kind of in the middle of nowhere in terms of traveling you kind of have to want to be in Huntsville to get there And so you have to, to fly there you have to connect through another place And then typically there are commuter airlines that get you between Huntsville and say Nashville or Huntsville and Atlanta and so I didn't know anything about the the weather patterns in Huntsville, and that in the fall and in the spring, you have all of this warm air that drifts northward from the Gulf, and then you have these cold fronts that come down, and when those two masses meet, you have friction, and you have what I call disturbed air. And so we were on our house-hunting trip, and we go to get on the plane, and I look out, and it's not a jet, it's a prop. And I'm thinking, this is not going to be good. And so we get on the plane. And so my, and this, is, this is my version that's different from Marianne. We barrel rolled all the way to Atlanta from Huntsville. It, that air was so disturbed. And the pilot came on and said, oh, I'm so sorry. Every time I try to avoid a cloud, I seem to bounce off another one. Oh, ha, 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 ha. I am a wreck. I am holding on to stuff, I'm, try- I'm looking around, I'm trying to figure this whole thing out. And I look at Mary and she's sitting there reading a magazine, <laughs> drinking a glass of water at total peace. So we get off the plane. I did survive. We get off the plane and I say, I was a wreck. You were sitting there just reading your magazine. Weren't you afraid? She goes, oh, no, I turned around. The the flight attendant was in the galley. She was refilling the drink container. And I figured if it was safe enough for her to be working, then I didn't need to worry about it, so I just cooled down and read my magazine. Oh. The point is that if you'll focus on the authority, especially when it comes to the conflict in your life, if you focus on Jesus and his peace, you can smooth out your ride. The second thing I want you to see is that let God's peace guard your heart. And this is a, a verse I think we're all familiar with. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So as you choose to follow the authority, Jesus, peace comes. And just think about it this way. What do good rulers do? They, pro- they protect their subjects. And Jesus does the same thing. I have an analogy for you. I hope we'll try to bring this um, and make some sense out of it. What is this? It's a cruise ship. we have any people like the cruise here? I like to cruise. Does anybody here like to cruise? So you get out into open waters, and what happens? It starts to get rough, doesn't it? And you start looking at the waves. Should I stop swinging? Cruise ships have these things. It's called a stabilizer, and they extend those things out and it helps to smooth out the ride when you're on the rough seas. And so this is exactly the role that God's peace is to play in our lives. It's to be our stabilizer. God's peace doesn't take the conflict away. It's not supposed to. Jesus said you will have trouble, but his peace is like the boat stabilizer. It doesn't take it away but it helps to stabilize and smooth out that right. Does that make sense to you? You know, when I see people who do this, that use peace, and we have examples of that in our church, they just react so differently to their situations, so unexpectedly. I mean, just go to a Christian funeral versus a secular funeral funeral. And look at the difference in how people react. Look at how the family reacts versus that, versus people who don't know Jesus. It's a totally different situation. Sometimes it's even mind-boggling. All right, so I've been talking basically to Christians so far. So what if you're here and you don't know anything about God's peace? We would say you're not a Christian. So I want to talk to you for a little bit. And the question you might have is, how do I get access to this peace? Well, The first thing that I want you to see, and this is on your outline, is that you need to recognize that you are not at peace with God. And I know that that is not a pleasant message, especially at the uh, Christmas season, but it is exactly the heart of the bad news. The evangelical church uses this next verse a lot. And in fact, if you said, what is the cornerstone verse of the evangelical church, it would be this one. And it's John 3.16, right? You could even probably say this without thinking. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And that message is such a great message. But for me, the verses that follow have a different message that's so sobering. And I have those for you here as we go to verse 17. Look at what they say. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands, look at this, condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of the one and only, in God's one and only Son. So the question is, what does Jesus mean by condemned? Well, it simply means those who do not accept Christ are in a condemned state before God. And this is very troubling to us because in our very nature, we don't believe that. We don't think that. We think that somehow we're in a, I'll call it a favorable position or a favored position before God, or maybe even a state of grace, and then maybe, maybe we do something wrong and we have conflict with God. But that's not what the Bible teaches us. And in fact, week after week, We hear this verse from Dudley, Romans 6.23. The wages of sin is what? It's death, right? So if we've all sinned, and if the compensation for sin is death, doesn't it stand to reason that if you don't have Christ, that you're condemned? The late pastor James Kennedy of Carl Ridge Presbyterian Church, I heard him speaking about this once, and I just really love uh, the way he said this. He goes, you know, we think that we've committed some minor offense. Think of it like a misdemeanor, like a traffic violation. But the truth of it is, in God's eyes, that we're like the hardened criminal that's on death row. And that's the way we should see ourselves, that we're deserving of the sentence that is about to be carried out against us because of our sin. This is what Jesus said explaining this to the disciples later in that uh, chapter in John. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Does that sound like peace to you? It doesn't to me. But you know what? God doesn't want you to incur his wrath. He wants you to see that he sent Jesus to earth to live the life that you couldn't live, to go to a cross and die on that cross, really a sentence that it should, should be carried on, out on each one of us, our sins are borne by Jesus on the cross, and then three days later, Jesus defeats death by rising from the dead. Paul rejoices in this message of the resurrection when he says, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? And he's actually quoting the prophet Hosea there. And you and I can have peace with God when we accept these truths by faith. And I said to you that God doesn't want to pour out his wrath on you. And the reason he doesn't is because he's patient. He loves you and he's patient. And I want you to see this verse from the Apostle Peter. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God is patient but he's only patient for a while. And what is, what is a, what's the definition of a while? Well, it's while you're alive. When you die, God's no longer patient. I was, uh, there's a hymn that, that I absolutely love, and it was written by Will L. Thompson in the late 1800s. It's called Softly and Tenderly. And I was looking at um, the verses, and I came across, this is the third verse from that hymn. Time is now fleeting, the moments are passing, passing from you and from me. Shadows are gathering, deathbeds are coming, coming for you and for me. Now, I don't, I don't like scare tactics, and I'm not trying to scare anybody this, this morning, but I am trying to, to get you to understand your own mortality and the fact that there is an urgency to the, the decision you need to make. This afternoon, I'm going to a memorial service of a a man that I met way, way back in the day. I've known him for uh, well over 40 years, and in fact, he was one of my brother's closest friends for, for more than 45 years. His name is Joe, and last Sunday, Joe got up like any other day, any other Sunday, and he went to work. And by the end of Sunday, Joe had had a heart attack and he died. Now, had Joe known that last Sunday was his last day on earth, he might have reacted differently or acted differently or sought out different things to do. The trouble is we don't know when that day is going to come. That's why there's such an urgency to this. And the, the great thing that I see when I think about God and his patience, he really wants us to come to peace. And look at the refrain from this. Come home, come home. You who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O oh, sinner, come home. And that's actually taken from um, the verse that I'm going to show you. And I want you to see the last point on your uh, outline is that realize it, God is calling you to peace. Look at this verse. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. You could change that to say, I will give you peace. God is there. He's patiently waiting for you. He wants you to come and Mend your relationship with him so that you can have peace with him. And so as I pray today, I'm going to pray for you. Um, Dudley prayed this prayer last week, and I'm going to pray it again today. I want you to know how to have peace, and I want you to have peace before you leave here this morning. So will you pray with me now? Father, we thank you so much for today, for the opportunity to be here. We thank you for your great love and your mercy and for your great peace. I pray for Christians here this morning, Lord, that as they deal with the conflict and the struggles in their lives, that they will submit to your kingship, your lordship, and that through that, they will experience the peace that you promise. And then, Lord, for those that are here and they don't know you personally, I pray that they would pray a prayer like this right now. Jesus, I understand that my sin has offended you. I understand as a result of that, I stand condemned, but I don't want to be. I want to to acquire what Jesus has done for me on the cross. I want to be saved, and I want to be at peace with you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer just now, please tell somebody. Write it down on your connection card. Come find me out after the service, or go see our people under the cross and tell them. But tell them. Peace.